Good morning, Soundhouse Church. How's everyone doing? How's everyone doing this morning? Good, good. Glad to hear it. Well, hey, my name is Chad. I'm the associate pastor here, and just wanted to welcome you all. Uh, a couple things before we get started. How's that? There we go. Good? Okay. Um, we've got two uh, big things coming up this week that I'm really excited to tell you about. The first is that uh, tomorrow is the start of our, our very first VBS on, on our own site, and very excited about that. The whole basement's all set up. Uh, for like an underwater uh, scene, and, and, and Taylor's been doing a ton of work for that. So um, if anyone is interested in uh, participating, ages 4 through 11, um, there are still some spots available. Feel free to sign up for that on the app or website, and you'll be hearing from Taylor today. Uh, or if you're interested in volunteering, I think you can use a couple more volunteers, and same thing, you can sign up on the app or website, and uh, hear some information about that. But that's going to be going on uh, all this week, Monday through, uh, Monday through Friday, 9 to noon, for ages 4 through 11. And then second of all is Rancho La Hermosa. That is the Mexican orphanage we support. We will be there this Saturday. Uh, it's a phenomenal experience. Can you raise your hand if you've been there? We've got some, some people in the room who have been there. It's such a great experience. Um, so it's just a one-day trip there and back. Uh, there's about you know, 30 kids living there at this orphanage. And um, it's great. We're going to have two different teams when we get there. One is going to be just doing window and door trim around uh, one of their guest dorms they built. And the other group's just going to be playing with the kids, playing soccer, doing arts and crafts and all that. But if you're interested, come talk to me after service. Um, you can sign up on the Apple website, and that'll get you the information. Uh, but if you have questions, come talk to me. I'd love to explain it to you. It is a very safe and organized trip. We take a toll road all the way from the border straight to the orphanage. Um, and we, we run into town, grab some tacos at lunch and all that. But So you get, get the Mexico experience, but it's, it's a very, uh, as I said, safe and organized trip. But it's a lot of fun. So definitely check that out. That is going to be this upcoming Saturday, July 31st. And hopefully we'll have lots of good stories for you next Sunday. Right, Ryan? Mm, that was a powerful last song. Um, very, very uh, in, in line with our message today. Uh, my name is Ryan Grable. I am the lead pastor here. And if you are new here, I, I sure would love to meet you. And if you're not comfortable with that, yeah, I get it. It's cool. Just check the place out, you know. Um, but, you know, we are a church that we would consider ourselves friendly and we want you to be known here. And uh, so we have the nicest congregation that there is. It's true. Yeah. We won't tell the other churches we're bragging on, on ourselves, but it, it, I am very, very proud to be a part of a church community like this. And um, so we hope you feel welcome. We hope you feel comfortable. And uh, yeah, and so we're glad you're here. I'm going to pray and then we'll just jump right into this series on David. This is probably a message that it's, it's hard. I'm not going to lie. It's tough. It's a tough part of his journey. It's very relatable, uh, and we all know the story so well. And I, like with the series with David, we're trying to take kind of a, a high-level view of really what the narrative is trying to express and really ultimately what we see about God in ourselves in light of how we see God. And this is just one of these parts of David's story that isn't inspirational. It's not. It's tough. And it's hard, and it's hard to read, and it's hard not to have feelings about it. But if we can take ourselves and place ourselves in not just looking at, wow, shame, shame, David, that's too bad. Uh, more of like, how do I see myself in that story? So let's pray. God, we love you so much. We thank you like that song just expressed, your grace, your love, 
your house, you're our Father, uh, your unconditional love, and God, our, our um, humanity in light of, of your grace. We thank you, God, that you have uh, not just saved us, but you didn't leave us there either. You're taking us from the next step to the next step. God, we're all in process. We're all in a place where we're trying to grow and learn. Sometimes, God, we know it's one step forward and sometimes five steps back. But God, I thank you for examples like David and ultimately the example of Christ that we can continually continue to take steps forward wrapped in your grace. Fully aware of the truth, though, God, that we seek the truth. And uh, we love you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're in this series on David, and we're trying to explore his entire life. We're getting closer to the end of the series. Now, we've been going through his journey, and if you haven't been a part of the series, you do not have to worry. They almost work each sermon individually, so we can all relate, but it, it relates to a greater context of his entire life journey. He was one of the most prominent figures in the Bible. He uh, is in the line of where Christ came, and it's very specific of why he's in that line. God has made this intense covenant with David that is his first real covenant in a way that is highly unconditional. But it, we're going to find out today, even though God's commitment to David is strong, there are consequences for David's actions. David is a man, though, the whole series, we just said, let's just pick the theme of David. <clears throat> Excuse me. And we got the theme from how David was talked about thousands of years later where he is being mentioned in a message from the Apostle Paul. And he, when they reference David, they reference this quality of David. There's a lot of things we could say about David, but he really is this one quality. And it's, it's, a, it's a good example of a human effort to try to be as Christ-like as possible. And this one attribute really set him apart, and that was his life of obedience to God. Now, I don't know how you would like to be talked about years later, right? Or hopefully you are talked about. You know, when I talk about my dad to my kids, my dad has passed. And uh, when I talk about him, I try my very best to represent who he is. But I, I do represent the full picture of my dad. I don't just memorialize the things I only want to uh, uh, let the kids think that are really positive because my dad was a human and I hope my kids do the same to me. But my dad had a lot of different attributes, but there are some I, I, I specifically learned so much from. And this is a little bit like David, where years and years and years later, this is his attribute. It's in uh, Acts 13, where it's mentioned in verse 22 to be on the screen. And when he, God, had moved, removed him, Saul, he raised up David to be their king. Of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. And you may know that phrase well, but this phrase is the important phrase of why he is a man after God's own heart. It says, who will do all my will. This is a phrase of obedience. David's willing to do what he doesn't want to do. I, I'm not going to lie. There are sometimes when I read some of the callings of Christ or obedience to God in the Bible and I don't like them. How about you? 
I'll just put it this way. It's not that I don't like the Bible. I love the Bible. I've given my whole life to it. But when I read, don't lie, it's really, really tempting to lie to get out of a situation, is it not? They're hard. And I always say this about Scripture. It's, it, I, I love it, but it, it is hard and it conflicts with what my desires are sometimes. I know it's right, but I want to do wrong. And I know you're all perfect and saints. I mean, I'm looking at one right here, Rick Piercy, who I just, Rick, don't look down. I saw you look at me. He's the best example in the church of a, really a living saint. And I know Rick doesn't struggle with this, but I do, you know, where it's hard to, to want to, when you read a passage, when God is calling for obedience and you don't want to do it, but you do it. We can relate to this as parents. Don't you want your kids to be obedient? Are they always obedient? Have they always been obedient? Oh, there's. thank you for swatting that. You hit that with your bulletin. If you don't grab a bulletin on the way in, that's the number one reason to grab a bulletin. She swatted a bug out of midair. Uh, wow. So when, when we read hard things, when God calls us to difficult things, you will always have a conflict with truth. The truth is that the fruit on the other side, like my example, of not lying. The fruit on the other end of it is always going to be good. The outcome is always good of any of the, of the things God asks us to do in scripture that we read and we go, ooh, yeah, of course it sounds good, but it's hard to do. And the fruit of it on the other end is always a fruit you don't want to eat, but we often will. So we can all relate to David, but we're going to see this tragic reminder of humanity's struggle with sin. It's a struggle. And if you're new here, I, I, want you to be, I don't want you to feel like, wow, this guy's just going to pound the pulpit on sin. I'm not going to do that, but I definitely am going to bring sin into a level of reality. We cannot sugarcoat it. We cannot, we cannot just gloss over it. But ultimately, how David himself finds himself in the grips of sin and what it does to him and what it does to people around him. It has its grasp on him. It's hard to go from all these great things we've been teaching about David and learning and then get to this point of like, dude, what happened to you? How did this happen to you? You, you, you had it all. And then here we go. And we can always look at it through the lens of just judging David. But if you can see yourself in this moment, we may see that we've been here. I titled this message, The Fallen King. It's quite the opposite of all of my titles. I've been titling things. And it's the costly lesson of sin. And this is what we're going to learn from this passage, this section, these chapters today. In his story, sin's kind of a hard, sometimes, thing to define. I would say anything apart from God is sin, right? But I, I, I think there's a broader definition of that, one that we can kind of all get our heads around. John MacArthur, a great pastor up in L.A., he said this when he's talking about sin. And I liked his definition. He said, sin is any personal lack of conformity to the moral character of God. That's broad. He says, or the law of God. He said it this way. It thinks evil, it speaks evil, it acts evil, and it omits good. This is a good gauge for when we're knowing, engaging ourselves when, when we're engaged in sin. It says, 
he says this, when you know to do right and don't do it, that's sin. And that's why it's important to know the truth. So when I read about a lying tongue, it's important for me to know I know the truth. This is something God's calling me to. The truth will set me free, but I'm now confronted with the truth. And so when we know to do right and we do wrong is sin. And I think that's a good mentality to have as we read David's story. We'll see David is this man of obedience, right? This great obedience. And we're going to see David as uh, failing greatly in obedience. Now, the great thing about the Bible is the Bible doesn't cancel people. David fails, but it doesn't cancel him. God is not a God who will cancel somebody. And this is what I love about the Bible. It exposes the reality of a horrific situation. But God does not give up on David. And he does not cancel David. And nor do the people cancel David as well. And so I think from here we're going to see three very sobering realities of the destruction of sin. Now when we talk about sin now or guilt let's say. We'll say it in ways of like this. Oh, I feel so guilty because I ate so much ice cream. Uh, guilt. But we don't really want to talk about, I think, in a way of the destruction of sin. And the desire to run from it. And to stay away from it. There's a lot of justification for sin. And so then it pretty soon, guilt then becomes, if we just get rid of the guilt, you won't feel guilty anymore. But that doesn't get rid of the sin, and it surely doesn't get rid of the way God views it. But, or it's fruit. And our culture can really easily do this. But ultimately, we'll turn guilt into things of like, oh, well, I know. I took too much time for myself. I feel guilty. Or my kids are this, you know, acting a certain way. I feel guilty. That's not the guilt of sin. The guilt of sin is present and, and, and aches at your heart. And it drives you because of the truth to do something different. But let me bring you up to speed to where we get. Where David's army, it's unstoppable. God is blessed and united Israel under David. He's anointed king. He's leading well. And he is ultimately under God's direction is, is absolutely blessed. There's nothing that David puts his hand towards that God isn't blessing Something shifts, though, and it's very, very, uh, uh, I would say, low-key in Scripture. But it's, it's really what is the beginning of the change for David's heart, of which leads him to a place of absolute disobedience. And David went from reclaiming Israel to expanding the empire. We're always at this place, and it's the struggle. And David loses it in this struggle. He loses the battle for his ego. And he loses the battle for what would be being autonomous from God. And he then goes, well, it's time to expand the empire. Everything God has placed in front of me, I have been blessed with. And now I'll go have more. And he goes on this empire conquest. He enters into a war because he was offended by something that they had done. And now he goes into this war. But David's not going to war now. David's sending Joab, his most trusted warrior and leader. And Joab is winning the wars. And Joab is leading. David is no longer there. And here is the problem. 
You know, it's kind of interesting because when Israel was chanting for a king and they gave them Saul, and God's like, if you get a king, you don't realize what a king's going to do. He's going to take everything you have. We want a king because we want a king to go out before us and fight the wars against the Philistines. David's won these wars, and now he's going into more. And the interesting thing about it is, is that he is no longer even going and fighting. He's not even going in what Israelites asked him to do. He's going into personal conquest now. He's found himself, I think, ultimately corrupted by blessing. A place where he never thought he would be. I was with, traveling with this. Uh, uh, he was a, back in the day when I was first a new believer. He was a pretty well-known evangelist, and we were doing uh, evangelism tour with him, and I got to go with him and uh, help personally and, and learn, and he, it was a great privilege for me to go. Uh, you know, he's the kind of guy who uh, had risen up through the ranks and very talented, very charismatic, and um, was getting into certain circles of, of, of fame and then on the, on the magazines, with Christian magazines, and e even in like talk shows. And, and I remember just kind of a little bit, I was a little enticed by this guy's notoriety, but I also wanted to learn, and it was a great opportunity. And so here he is speaking to thousands and thousands, and I'm there witnessing this all, and I'm seeing a lot of transformation. But one day in between... The, uh, the revivals, if you will, were in the gym and we're working out and he just looks over and he says, you know what? Here I am, this guy. He does, I don't even know him. I'm just a kid. I'm new in my faith. And he says, you know what? I, I think I'm going to get out of doing this. And here, can you imagine? I'm just like, what? I'm, I've given 30 years of my life to God. I think it's time for me. And so I've got plans outside of this, and I think it's time to do for me. I've given God enough. And that was a shocking moment for me. And it was really heartbreaking to see what followed because it was the natural steps of destruction. And, and, and the fruit played out in that way. And this is someone I really looked up to. I learned a lot from that moment that at the end of the day, I, I can see how I could be that story as well. David was this story of I've given a lot, I've been blessed, now I've got to think about me. And here's the first thing we're going to learn from David's story about sin, is it's complacency with God is where it starts. I, there's this uh, line in one of, the, one of the Batman movies, it's the last one, and he's fighting this super villain called Bane. And he has one of my favorite lines of maybe any movie anywhere because it has such wisdom in it. And as he is breaking Batman's back, he says this, victory has defeated you. You've won too much and you've gotten complacent. And here's somebody who's hungry and victory has now defeated you. This is exactly what's happened, I think, with David. Victory has defeated David. Blessing becomes the distraction. Oh, man, can we relate to this? Don't look at me like this. This is for real. This is real. We live this. Victory can defeat us. God's blessings to get to a certain place. Ultimately, we might find ourselves in a position like David where we're distracted by the blessing. And we are no longer have our eyes on the Lord. 
Think about your conversion. I was talking with someone the other day. You ever think about people who are the most passionate about sharing their faith? And I think about my own life. When I first really went from darkness to light, it was such a contrast. And many of you don't know my story, but it was a big contrast for me. And I felt pure grace from God. And it was such a contrast. My mouth wouldn't stop running about how great God was. I think I've told you this before. I actually took one of my friends who I thought needed to get saved. I drug him by his hand while he resisted me all the way to the front of the altar, right? I was very zealous and passionate because I was like, dude, I know your life. It's terrible. We live the same life. I have found something different. So <clears throat> in my conversion, I was zealous and passionate. I've learned some tact over time. I don't do that. But I think about that, and sometimes I cringe a little bit at like the passion and zeal I had for when I become more comfortable in my faith. I can put more energy into like studying and reading the Bible, which is good, than maybe even just taking that extra step out and talking with someone about my faith and not just learning about my faith. Think about finances where we prayed and prayed, God, I, I, I need blessing. I, my family needs help. I need, I, I need to get past this financial place I'm at. God brings the blessing, and what happens sometimes? We go, I'm good, and we get distracted by the blessing. And God's going, what happened? Things, our time, all of that can change us. And I would say it's complacency ultimately with God is where the beginning of sin will begin to creep in. You know, <clears throat> sorry, the best way to look at where David has fallen from is, is to go way back in the story. Not even in, before David was even born. The, the man who anointed him, we would call him the kingmaker. <clears throat> sorry, it would be Samuel. Samuel is the judge who then anoints David and becomes David's mentor. But when Samuel's mother couldn't get pregnant and Samuel was not born yet, she would go to the temple. They would, they would sacrifice and thank God for their children. She would go empty every time. She was made fun of and she was mocked for years and years and years. And one day God heard her prayer. And then she becomes pregnant with Samuel. But her prayer was this. If you give me a son. If you give me a child. I will, dead, I, I will give them to you God. Which is a big thing for a mom. All of his life will be dedicated to you God. I just want a child. And God then grants her her request. In the joy of finding out she's pregnant, she prophesies this. And this is a good prophecy to remember when we're talking about being a Christian and ultimately what God's leaders look like. 1 Samuel 2.3, this is how far David has fallen uh, in the story in a minute. She says this, do not keep talking so proudly. Let your mouth speak or, or, or let your mouth speak with such arrogance. For the Lord is the God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. Bows of warriors are broken, but those who stumble are armed with strength. He's painting this contrast of what man thinks is power is not power. Those who are, uh, were full hire themselves out for food, but those who are hungry are hungry no more. She who was barren bore seven children, but she who had many sons pines away. 
The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and he lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit the throne of honor. For, here we go, the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. And on them he has set the world. No doubt this prophecy was in Samuel's mother's mouth all the time. It was written on Samuel's heart. That's why he was such an incredible leader. He lived this out. Samuel was a very humble person. And he was David's mentor. So no doubt David heard this all the time about what it looks like to be a leader for God. Listen to David's son who comes from this Terrible situation. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. How many times have we lived out Proverbs 16, 18? And, and maybe minimal levels in our life. When you just become arrogant or prideful. Or you say this bit of truth in a judgmental way about so and so and how they're living their life. And then next thing you know that calamity comes upon your life. I'll even bring it down to a very small level. Maybe you will relate. First-time parents. When you see someone parenting, you're like, oh, I would never do that with my children. Give them a phone to watch. And then next thing you know, you're just like, I'm so tired and stressed out. Just give them the phone, first-time parent. Do you know what I'm talking about? And then you're eating your own words. You know, I would never give my child sugar. And then next thing you know, you're like, just eat this and shut up, right? Like, we, we, we eat our own words, and it's fine. We've all done it. I've judged all of my brothers on how they raise their kids. And then I raised my kids, and I was like, I ate my own words. It was my arrogance. I've lived this out in a bunch of ways, and just when we think we're so self-sure, then we will experience a fall. And this is what happens with David. Let's start the story. 2 Samuel 11, it's on the screens. In the spring of that year, they're out to war, right? And the time when the kings go out for battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Amorites and besieged Reba. But here's the problem. But David remained at Jerusalem. Here's where it all begins. His, his calling, he's not walking out. His complacency is plain to see. And the narrator is pointing this out for all of us to see the troubles of this. A.W. Tozer, great theologian, great author, said this. Complacency is a deadly foe to all spiritual growth. Acute desire must be present or there will be, a manifest, or there will be no manifestation of Christ to his people. He, God, waits to be wanted. Too bad that with many of us, he waits so long, so long in vain. Ooh, that's convicting. It's a hard words to hear, but I believe they are truth. But what I would say, even in a clearer way than complacency, is David's convictions are fading. And his blessing is becoming a distraction and giving him a self-assurance that he always had on God. 
He always had that. I won't read the story of what happens. It's long. You know the story of David and Bathsheba, but he lost after Bathsheba. She's a wife to a loyal servant who's out to war fighting David's, I would say, petty war that he's not even at, a fight he picked. Not even really, God didn't even tell him to go do this. He's doing this. And he is fighting this war. And this guy is fighting for him. And David's out on his balcony. He says he got up from the couch. That's his first problem. He's totally a couch potato. He gets up. And he decides to turn off Netflix and look outside. And he is seeing something that entices his desire. Now remember, David's the king. At this time, don't ask me to get into why he has so many multiple wives, but he does. But he sees something else he wants. And in his idle hands, he finds himself in some serious trouble. But listen to 2 Samuel 11. David sends his servants out to go find out if she wants, not if she wants, to go get her. And it says this, so David sent messengers and they took her. Now, this story isn't a love story, right? I think I can't assume too much, but I know that David's a king and whatever he wants, he's going to get. And I'm, I'm based on the, the fact of that she mourns intensely over the death of her husband. I don't think Bathsheba really wanted to go have a romantic relationship with older, old David, Right? She's not looking for a sugar daddy here, right? She is someone who was in love and is praying for her husband as he's out to war. And David then does what kings do that God warned them against. He took her. This is, um, in my opinion, a forced, unwanted intercourse for sure. I'm saying that extraordinarily politically correct, but it's not what she wanted but it's what he wanted, and he had the power to do so. And so they took her. You know, it's funny. Uh, there's so many misunderstandings about it. I think culturally we've been inundated with this. There's this passionate love that happened, and she's like, David, no. And he's like, yes. And she's like, no, yes, 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 David. No, this is not what happened at all, okay? I'm not trying to demonize the guy, but the narrator is not letting us get away with that either. They're saying he took her. And... The funny thing about it is I was, uh, th that old movie, David and Bathsheba, with Gregory Pack, and it's this romantic, there's romantic novels about David and Bathsheba and their secret affair, but that is not the case here at all. And let me read a quote from the movie in the 1950s that wanted to paint how the picture was, the, how they saw the story. They said, in quotes, the attraction is mutual, although both know the affair would break the law of Moses. This is not what happened at all. They are really trying to massage the story in a way that makes it maybe more doable. But the fact is that David did something that was disgusting to God and to most people. How did he get here? I think that's what we have to be confronted with. How did a man get here? But now he is a king that takes and he takes and he takes. He's going to take this woman's innocence He's going to take her husband's life, and then he will take her to be his wife. He will take, and he takes, and he takes. Man, he has really 
come to a place we would not want our hero to be, this giant slayer, this moral upstanding man, and he's found himself. But the key is it was through his complacency and the distraction of God's blessing in his life. What a reminder for us. I would say the second, I think, reality we can learn from this and the destruction of sin is sin commands concealing every time. Oh, man, I love catching somebody in a lie who has to lie about the lie and about the lie. Oh, I used to do it all the time in youth ministry. It was my favorite thing to do. I'd be like, okay, so why did you do this? Oh, I did this. And I was like, I finally, I would ask at least 10 questions, and I'd be like, oh, wait, I thought you said this. And they're like, oh, oh, yeah, I did. My bad. And I'm like, oh, this is so great, but this has to come to an end. A sin wants to conceal itself. It wants to cover itself. It wants to remain in the cloak of darkness. So it then can continue to do its damage. But darkness always increases sin's grip every time. But light is a a disinfectant. It's a good reminder when you want to feel better or bring something where bacteria is killed in a way. You bring it out into the light. The sun will cook it. And then it's a good disinfectant. It's the same way with our sin. James 1.4, this is in the New Testament, said, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by your own desires. This is what happened to David. Then the desire it has conceived gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. We, we've seen this in our lives. We've, we've walked sin all the way down to where it brought death to a part of our life. Now, sin can't, as a believer, take your covenant position with God. But it surely can strip you from a bunch of your life God's and called you to live. And it does this to David. It doesn't break God's covenant with David. It just gives David a limp for the rest of his life. It has its pain. It delivers. Now, listen to this. David, at this moment, by doing what he did, this whole scheme of trying to cover it up and, and get her husband to, to, to try to actually be with her so he could be like, see, you got her pregnant because she came and said, David, I'm pregnant. And he's like, I got to figure this out quick. And eventually he just says, it's not worth it. I'm going to kill the guy. And then I'll just take her as my wife. He breaks three of the Ten Commandments. Now, on a bad day, maybe you'll break one, but on a really bad day, he broke three. He coveted someone else's wife. He committed adultery and forced her to as well, and then he murdered. This is a bad day, a bad, bad day for David. It's a far cry from what he wrote in Psalms when he was young and he was passionate and he understood and he was fully in obedience with God and he wasn't complacent by the blessing because he had nothing. In Psalm 19, he wrote this, the instructions of the Lord are perfect. Now take that in contrast of the instructions of the Lord. I'm just going to check off three of those right now, God. They're not perfect. I don't want to follow them. He's come a long way. They, they are his, God's instruction, his law. They are more desirable than gold, but not now to David. They are even the finest gold. They're sweeter than honey. And they are a warning to your servant. And he ignored the dashboard and the engine is going to blow up. 
Keep your servant from deliberate sins, he says in that psalm. Don't let them control me. Now, I, I can see the slow unraveling with his complacency, and I can see even through his concealing of his sin that he's running the car on red line, and it's going to do great, great damage. God has given him the warnings all along. He knows the truth. He used to write these things. But can't we relate to this a little bit? Over time, it's like, eh, what's the big deal? Eh, is it that big of a deal? David finds himself in a place where I think he is also there. He's betrayed Bathsheba. He's betrayed Uriah. He's betrayed Joab because he had Joab, Joab execute the guy, essentially. His greatest leader and follower. He's compromised him, he's compromised Israel, and ultimately he has betrayed God. David wasn't thinking about that when his desire, through his complacency, was allowed to have sin manifest within him to a place where he was willing to disrespect and destroy God's commandments. And David has now become a man after David's own heart. Now, this is a strong message to Christians because... We need this warning. This is a great part of the story because it's a warning to us. We can get complacent. We can, we can do some mental gymnastics to get around certain things God's called us away from and to. We're good at it. I don't know about you, but when I want to talk myself into something, I'm a good salesman in general. I'm not going to lie. I, I, I really, if I didn't do this, I would be selling something. And I can sell myself really, really well on what, oh, that's not, I mean, really, if I look at it this way, it's not that, and I can justify that. I do it every time, every single time when I want to eat some dessert I'm not supposed to have. Every time I'll be like, well, you know, you did work out today, and so um, you did, and you're going to do it tomorrow, and you know what, and then as soon as I finish eating it, I'm, I was talking to a guy about this the other day at the gym, and I was like, and every single time, he just went through it, he went to Vegas, had too good of a time came back, and he was struggling. And I was watching him struggle at the gym. And he's like a real monster at the gym. And I was like, wow. And he's like, dude, I just took two weeks. I partied. I ate. And I gained seven pounds. And now it's so hard. And I was like, oof. He's like, and I just told myself, I'll be fine. We're good at it. And that's just food. But what about the things that actually bring real, real destruction in our lives? How good are we about that? How good are we at reminding ourselves or do we talk ourselves into it? And I would say this, if we've learned that complacency, dependency on God, where we, or we are abusing the blessings of God that he brought you to. So many of us, we write, we prayed for a wife or a husband and then years later we're going, I hate this husband. What about him? Right? We're abusing the blessings that have come or the finances. And it's like, yeah, I don't have time, God, to really get into the word because you got me this job that I wanted, but now I'm so busy and I don't even have time to spend. It's like the cat's in the cradle kind of story, right? You know, where it's like, okay, God is now at the back burner. We can do it all the time. But then sin, when we step into it, although simple at first, it will need a lot of concealing. I don't know if you know this about sin. It never wants to stay where it's at. <laughs> it doesn't want to stay. It wants to spread. I just got bit by a black widow, which is my greatest fear of all time. And 
it was, it was a small one. Thank goodness it was it's small, but I didn't even know it bit me. And it was like really weird, and, and I was feeling not great. But I watched this teeny little bite turn into this really bad infection, and then it grew. And I'm like, oh, is my leg going to fall off? You know, I go there right away, of course. And I'm Googling everything, and I'm realizing, I'm looking at all these pictures of people's legs getting eaten away. I'm freaking out. My wife's like, can you stop? <laughs> and, and, and it just is this tiny little thing, but it grew and grew and grew because it, it wanted to grow. It wanted to work itself all the way up, which I thought then ultimately to my heart. And then I'll be like, I'm going to die soon. <laughs> Sin doesn't ever want to just stop. It's never satisfied. It will work with us as long as we can seal it. So this is this last lesson we can learn from David's story. is about revelation, response, and repercussions. I don't think sin comes without repercussions. We don't really ever get away with things scot-free. It comes with it. But there's a response that really is important for sin to either die in our life or continue to grow. And there's hopefully a revelation that happens. And it can happen through the word. It can happen through a message. It can happen through a time of where you're just God speaking to you directly. He can bring someone into your life and speaking it to you. And you may or may not listen. One time God used me to go confront a guy who was doing something. He had said this one thing and he was going to have an affair on his wife. And he was one of my volunteers. And I was like, listen, not at this church. Church is back. And I just stopped and I said, dude, what you're saying is wrong. I'm sorry. I can't listen to you talk about this anymore. You know you're wrong. And he got so mad at me. And his response was, we will no longer be friends. I'm not volunteering for you anymore. I'm not speaking to you anymore. And it worked itself out the way he wanted to go. But I believe in that moment God brought me into his life to seriously confront him. And I don't do that. I'm usually like, hey, what's up? Maybe you should think about something different. You know, that's not my approach normally. I'm... I just went right at him, and he didn't want to hear it. His response is what determined his course. But I would say this, what happens when light shines on sin? We should know how we would respond when it shines on sin, or ultimately really what should happen. David thinks at this moment he's covered it up. He's got a new bride. Surprise, surprise, she's pregnant as well. Honeymoon night, promise, right? He's got that deal going on. And he's gotten away with his murder. <clears throat> and no one really knows about it except a guy who's never going to say anything about it. His friend, Joab. And so he thinks the problem's been averted. And we can think this way too. But he may think no one knows. But there's somebody very important that does know. And David doesn't realize <clears throat> that God knows because David then again forgot something. He penned himself earlier and said this in Psalm 66, 7. He rules. God rules by his might forever. His eyes keep watch on the nations. Let no rebellious exult themselves. Over and over and over, David says this, that the Lord's eye is on his people. He knows you intimately. And so David may have think he has fooled everyone else, but he has not fooled the one that matters. And, and, and this is probably where I find, the, where I have to remind myself that, Ryan, even though if you think that you're fine and you, you're, you're cool, God knows and he's the one that really matters. 
I don't, I don't hold myself accountable to people. I hold myself accountable to God. But David, in a way, ran these mental gymnastics in his head. But he forgot what he had said. And so God gives him the greatest gift ever. He gives them a voice of truth. And he gives somebody who's got some tact. He wasn't like me with that guy when I rebuked him. He, he sent Nathan. And Nathan did something really slick. He gave David a parable. He went to David and he said, David, there's this guy. He's this rich guy. And he's got all these flocks. He can have everything he wants. But then he saw this one guy who has this little lamb. And this lamb's like a daughter to him. He cares about this lamb. He loves this lamb. It's all he has. And the rich guy said, listen, I don't want to slaughter any of my lamb for my feast. I'm going to take that one lamb from that guy. And he took it. And he ate it. And the man is left with nothing. And David said, what an injustice. <laughs> this, is a, and this dude is slick. And he says, whoever that man is should be put to death. You know what? And he should pay back four times what he has stolen as well. And then the most important words of this entire verse is this, the confrontation. 2 Samuel 12, 7. Nathan said to David, you are the man. Now, Nathan risks a lot when he's doing this. He's hoping that he's going to speak to the heart of a man he used to know. But he doesn't know. He knows what David's capable of doing. What matters is David's response. Because this, this, David could make this man disappear. He made another man disappear. And Nathan followed God and said, I'm going to do it. And, and this is what he said. He said, then now he's going to speak for God. The parable was Nathan. Now this is from God. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, God saying this to David, I anointed you king over Israel, David. How dare you? <laughs> I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. You could have done nothing without me. Remember, David, you were just a shepherd boy. He said, and if this was too little, I would have added to you as much, much more. And then he follows up. God's like, why? This, is, this, this should speak to our heart. God might be looking at some of us and going, why? I've done all of these things. I, I brought you from death to life. Why? Now forsake it. Why have you despised the word of the Lord and to do evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite. Uriah wasn't even a guy of the Torah. He wasn't even a guy of their land. And yet he was doing more fighting and had more character than the leader and he said, uh, with the sword, and you have taken his wife to be your wife, and you have killed him with the sword of the Amorites. You couldn't even do it yourself, David. In verse 10, thou, therefore, the sword shall never depart your house. And here's part of the judgment. Because you have despised me, and you have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will rise up evil against you in your own house. And we see this walk out later in another sermon. And I will take your wives before your eyes, and I will give them to your neighbor, which would be his son. 
and, and he, will, he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. You did it in secret, David, but I will do this before all of Israel and the sun. This is a harsh rebuke, but not what David ultimately deserves. He deserves worse. But God made a covenant with David, and he will honor that. And this is comfort in a way, honestly, for you and I with the covenant of Christ. There is nothing you can do to turn back the love of God. John 3.16 says, Before you were even who you are now, at the greatest height of your sin, God still sent Christ to die for you. So we know God's heart. But we also know that God doesn't want you to walk through life with, with, with a limp in a way. Or with massive wounds and scars or, 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 or trauma that holds you back from the calling of God because of the entertainment of sin in our life. But I would say this, ultimately David's destiny, and we'll start to close with this, David's destiny was in the hands of his response. I don't think we'd be hearing about David if he didn't respond the way David responded. I think we might have seen David just as a blip in the radar. I think we would have seen other characters rise up, but I, I think David's response is what makes the difference. He, he, he could put, he, and at the end of the day, if he wanted to, he could put Nathan to death, and, 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 and the sin would grow, and it would grow to David's end. But something significant happens. It's funny, we have this little dog, he's a little white Pomeranian. He came from the, 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 uh, the kennel, and uh, when we got him, he'd been there for four months, so he had kind of a little bit of like a, like he had been in, uh, locked up too long, you know? And so we, we bring him in, and it's funny, when I go to him and he does something wrong, I'd be like, Dexter! And he, he, his response will be, I'm so sorry. His response is like, literally like a cartoon, like his feet are spinning and he takes off. And I'm like, every time. And the guy doesn't learn. And I think this is a little bit how David could have been. He could have just ran. But he didn't. He had the right response. Second Samuel 12, 13, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. I did it. He publicly confesses this. I did it. I think repentance, ultimately, if you want to know what it is, it's dragging sin out into the light and holding it there till it dies and offering to God and say, I'm sorry. And saying, I want this to die here and I'll turn and I don't want to bring it back into any darkness anymore. By the force of God's light, it will die. The cost, though, as Nathan said to David, you should know the rest of the story, doesn't end happily. David also, uh, God said, I put away your sin, David. You, you shall not die. Nevertheless, though, because you, by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, and the child, uh, sorry, the child who is born uh, to you shall die. You will lose. Everyone around you suffers, David, because of your sin. You will have to live with this. And this is hard because David's cost, his sin costs many people. And I think that's what it does. When it, when it bears itself out, people end up getting hurt. We see it all the time. We see it with, sadly, unfortunately, nothing against anybody who's struggling through this. But with addiction, it bears itself out and many people get hurt. Many people need help after an addiction in a family. And you can just work it out in many different ways. It causes pain. Proverbs 16.5, David's son writes this, and he knows this well because of David's story. Everyone who is arrogant in heart 
is in, uh, in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. <laughs> there are consequences, sadly, that will follow sin in its places. I don't think any of us want it to experience, but it bears its fruit. Uh, but this is the, not the end of David's story. And I think that's the good thing about it. His sin wasn't what defined David. His response is what defined David. It, 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 God did not decide to cancel David, like I said. God decided to work with David's response. And I think it's the same way with us. Your sin doesn't define you. I've, had, I've seen so many people who, who, who have fallen into sin and they're shamed so heavily. They never feel like they can recover, but it's not what defines them. It's the response that defines them. And then God begins to move David forward. Now he's injured for sure the rest of his life. And there are struggles coming his way because of it. But, but, but the response is really what defined David. And he is a man of obedience again. It's his repentant heart that should inspire us in this. And a warning with the sin. But I'll end with this. What speaks to us in this tragic chapter? I think we should ask that question. What's speaking to me right now? What are you saying to me right now, God? How are your tentacles, if you will, invading my heart and opening the areas that are covered? And what are you poking at and saying, I want in that door? What is it? You should think about these things. And we should ask these questions to ourselves. Has blessing brought autonomy away from God? I'm good God, now me. Has that, has that happened in our life? Is there complacency creeping into any part of our spiritual life? Not that you have to be perfect, but is there complacency that was there was once zeal and passion and standard and structure, and now it's just fluid and loose and whatever happens, happens because we've become complacent in the blessing. Has sin found a fruital, fruitile, fertile ground in your heart? Is your heart good soil for sin or is it good soil for truth where it can grow out of? Has it grown? Into a redwood? Or just a little weed? We have to ask these questions. And are you experiencing the poisonous fruit of sin? And are you sick and tired of that? And maybe we need to bring it out into the light to God. And say, God, I need this out of my life. And God's radiant light of truth will destroy that in your life. But it begins with a response like David's. And in... And, and, Ultimately, where is God bringing revelation to in your life? You should ask that question. What is he speaking to me? And will, will our response be, will it be, you know, ultimately concealment? Or will it be confession? You know, will it be bondage or will it be freedom? How is God speaking to you? So in closing, I'll give you this little bit of a challenge um, before we uh, go into worship, is that God's character, it will not change. It didn't change. Even though David thought he was getting away with what he did, God's character didn't change at all. And his character of grace didn't change either in forgiveness. He blesses, but he'll judge. And ultimately, he'll forgive and he gives grace. It's our response that really matters. And I would say this, this last beautiful thing that we probably don't know about is that, yes, that baby did die. And God tends to make a promise after something like that happens. 
a promise to David that, listen, there's peace here. And Solomon was born. And, and through this horrible situation, God says, I'm even going to use this situation and I'm going to further the line to ultimately Christ. And Solomon comes from, is derived from the word shalom, which means peace. David, there's peace. I'm going to renew what you brought devastation to in war. And I'm going to bring peace here. We're good. And I think that that's such a cool thing to think about with God's heart and how he is in his grace and his mercy. Please don't walk out of this church thinking that you should feel ashamed about who you are. Just know that if there's something there, drag it into the light to God and he will deal with it. Your response should just be David's response and God will do the rest. It's our honesty matched with God's truth that brings life. And when we conceal it longer, we just, can, we just allow it to grow. And we, none of us will like the fruit of that. And David, sadly, ate of its fruit and it injured him in his family, in his life, and, and ultimately Israel. So let's pray. God, we come to you, God, as people who are humans, God. We are not perfect, God. We are striving to be like you, Christ. And God, there are some of us in here who have, who have allowed things to grow in such a place where just maybe even feel overwhelmed. How can I ever get free of this? But God, just like David, maybe you're confronting us now and you're saying, all I need is your response and I need your willingness to bring it to me and my light will destroy sin in our life. God, we don't want to walk through life with a limp and have tragic stories and things that we self-inflicted wounds on our own life because we were too stubborn or thinking, maybe too arrogant to think that you wouldn't notice, but you do. But all you want as your children is the best. Just like we want for our kids, God, you want the best for us. And for the best is, is in lockstep connection with your moral character in your life. And God, the doorways that are opened are amazing. God, I ask that you guard our hearts from complacency, from the blessing you bring our way, that we don't get, get, get so much from you, God, that we forget about you, but we remember to whom these blessings, what they came from. And we keep you a top priority in the throne in our life. Thank you for lessons like David and the honesty of these Hebrew writers thousands of years later instructing your people about the woes of sin and the character of you and redemption and the power to overcome sin and death. I ask that every person as we walk out, we ponder this story, we think about it in our life, we have a moment with you and a reality with you, God, where we come clean to you, we talk to you, we ask for your help with you, or we repent for taking for granted what you brought our way and put it in front of you, God. I ask that you give us that this week and you renew our hope that there's peace and a future ahead of us without stumbling blocks that we create ourselves but running after you bring back that zeal bring back that passion for you we love you in jesus name amen will you guys sing with me and uh, this stand with me in this last song